Hello runners, this is Coach Pala here. How are you all doing? Back to you on the next episode of uh, Podcast with Runners, Podcast with Celebrities. And this time I actually have one. And I'm so excited to, uh, to invite our guest. Uh, so before I invite our guest, let me, uh, for those of you who are signing in or looking at this for the first time, uh, this is uh, the podcast that I do on a regular basis to all our runners to introduce you all to the sport through different lenses. You know, you've been hearing from me as a coach all this while, but the true learning happens when you hear from others who are in the sport, who came into the sport from different directions, who do different things in the sport. And uh, this time, I am right now sitting in Orlando uh, in the RRCA convention. So as you can see, we are doing our level two coach training program. And it's our second day here. And because of this, I get introduced to some truly amazing people from all around the country and that's why I got this opportunity to invite our next guest um, and bring forth his views and his thoughts and himself to all of you. So this is going to be a treat for all of you. So without much further ado, let me invite our special guest to this program. Hello, please uh, welcome to our program. Thank you, Bala. It's a pleasure to be here on your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And why don't we start with maybe uh, just your name? And a little bit about yourself, maybe go back in uh, time and talk a little bit about yourself, uh, where you started college and all that good stuff. Uh, my name is Terry Hamlin, and I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I started running uh, at age 14. And I started running as a result of uh, staying in shape to be a surfer, because I was a very high-level surfer as a young adolescent. Uh, and uh, but I found that I enjoyed running as much or more than I did surfing. I see. So um, the more I ran, the more I enjoyed it. Got it. And um, it, it built from there. I see. So you're born and brought up in South Carolina. You went to college in South Carolina. Surfing in South Carolina is that how it was? Absolutely. I surfed um, up and down the East Coast, down to Puerto Rico, places like that, places with big waves. I see. Um, I was uh, class 3A, which is um, just below professional by the time I was age 13. Oh, so you were almost a professional by the time you were age 13. So yes. when did you start surfing? Uh, I was eight. Wow, so you, your parents, your dad took you to surfing? Is that yes. how it started? That's exactly how it started. My, my, dad, my dad was very athletic. I see. And uh, he, he introduced me to the sport, and um, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but when I went off to college, um, I went to an inland college and there were no waves. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so you had to do something else. That's All right. that phenomenal athletic power that you had uh, garnered. Wonderful. So talk a little bit about your family before we go into running and all that. So what's your like, your dad, yourself, your family, how does, a uh, little bit about that? Um, my father was my hero. Um, he has passed away, but uh, he and both his brothers uh, were World War II veterans. Wow. Um, they were all in combat at the same time, and uh, two of them came home, one did not come home. Um, but uh, they, they were my mentors, uh, the two that were left, my uncle Guyland and my dad. And, um, and of course my mother, my mother, my dear mother. And, uh, she, she kept me uh, between the lines, so to speak, so that I didn't get out of control as a youngster. <laughs> And uh, I appreciated that. But they always encouraged um, physical play. Got it. And um, uh, I, in fact, you know, they would run, feed me breakfast and then run me out of the house and <laughs> didn't want to see me until almost dark. Wow. You know, and uh, we were always out running and playing and, um, and exploring. and. So you started off surfing at age eight mm -hmm. and became almost quasi-professional. Is that the way? Is yeah. that the level, like very, yeah. very high level? Top, yeah, level four is, is professional. I was level three. Level three at the age of 14. Is that right? Third. In the sport, 13, is that too early or that's par for the course? If you're talented. It's a, um, it's a hand-eye coordination and just general athletics. Got it. Um, you, Surfing is a it's a beautiful sport, I see. Um, just like running is, and uh, you fall in love with it uh, when you start. And I fell in love with it, and uh, I would spend up to six hours a day in the water, um, 
you know, training and surfing and then just enjoying the waves. On the side, Terry, that's something that's always been in my bucket list. I don't know whether it's too late for me to start, but that's something oh, I always want to do. you can. You yes. can. In New Jersey, you think there are places for surfing in New Jersey? Is there, there are. There they, are. They actually have some very good waves on the coast of New Jersey. Got it. Okay. I, this is a side note that I will be bugging you and uh, trying to figure it out. I have a nine-year-old daughter, a ten-year-old now, so I want to see how she can get in this boat as well. Great. Um, okay. That's that. So that's on the surfing side. So age 13, 14, you're getting into college. Is that right? Uh, uh, I was in high school. High school, and that's the inland one you talked about. Um, I was in high school in uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, my high school coach. Um, I really wanted to play football, but um, and uh, uh, not not soccer football, but uh, American, American football. football. Uh, but I was considered too small and too light to play football. However, uh, it was recognized that I was the fastest guy on the field. Yeah. And so the track coach um, sort of recruited me in high school and said, we'd like you to run cross country here at, at high school for us. And I did that. Um, so that's your first foray into running. Have you ever yeah. thought of running before that? Uh, not a, on, a, on a formal training basis. Yep. Yep. Um, I just had had so much physical um, activity growing up that my cardiovascular system was, was, pretty was good, yeah. uh, in pretty good condition by the time I was in high school. Yeah. And surfing also builds your cardiovascular condition. That's right. Are the core muscles in that that part is pretty strong? I'm sure the kinetic chain must be. That's right. Very exactly. Your arms, shoulders, abs, um, all of that has to be strong for surfing, and and you have to have uh, strong quads and be able and and flexibility. Yeah. And so all of the things that make a good runner make a good surfer. Absolutely. So how was your early days of running? Like a few tidbits about that. What happened during those times? I would go out and run one or two miles. And um, I found that I was able to run one or two miles as a 14-year-old at uh, about 5.30 to, to 6 minutes per mile when my <laughs> friends could only run about 7 or 8 minutes a mile. That's amazing, yeah. And so uh, that got recognized and I was uh, offered um, a, a scholarship, scholarship yeah. to uh, the University of South Carolina, yeah. and uh, um, at first I turned it down. Yeah, um, I, I didn't want to do uh, formal uh, running in college, um, and my father was very angry about that because it would have paid for my entire college. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so uh, he reluctantly agreed to pay for my college anyway, and so. By the time I got to be a sophomore, um, I was still running. I was by this time I was running fifty or sixty miles a week on my own. My goodness! Like no coach, nothing. No you coach, just go out and start running fifty, sixty and, miles and train. Yeah. And um, just because I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed fast running, and uh, I happened to be running down a long straight street in front of the student union building one day during my sophomore year, and I noticed an automobile pacing me, and I, uh, this guy was looking at the speedometer and looking at me and looking at the speedometer, and then he drove ahead and parked, and he got out and flagged me down, <laughs> and he said, uh, uh, what's your name? And I told him my name. He said, you're the guy who turned down the scholarship. So and he's I, the coach. He was the yeah, coach. Yeah, he was the cross-country coach. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, he, and so I told him my reasons for turning it down, and he said, well, look, I'm, 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 I'm an easygoing coach. And um, you know, would you accept if if we reoffered it to you? Yeah. And I said sure. And so by that time, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. You know? Got it. So and it's literally coach saw the talent in you and said that he couldn't go see that go wasted. Yeah. And he picked you into the college team. He he pulled me in, and um, and so uh, it was fun. How was your college experience running to the so you represented college? I'm, I I ran. I ran well in college, but I don't feel like I ran to my potential in college. I see. Um, because there wasn't as much um, known about distance running in those days as there is now, obviously. And um, most of the runs were too hard. There, there was not enough easy cardiovascular running and, and conversational pace running. Yeah. Um, most of it was speed work on the track. And uh, that can break down a runner very quickly, as you know. Yep. And so 
um, you know, I came out of college um, knowing that I was not going to pursue the track portion of it. I was going to be a road racer. Yeah. And so I started running road races in 1974. So th till that time you have not run any marathons and half marathons? No. You did like fast on track and field? 5,000 meters was the furthest we would run Got in it. competition. Got it. Um, and so um, uh, a friend of mine, Bill Rogers, uh, won the Boston Marathon. The Bill Rogers. Yeah. And he was a friend of yours. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he, won the Boston Marathon in 1975 and broke the American record in the marathon. And uh, that stimulated me to up my mileage. So I pushed my mileage up to about 100 miles a week, roughly. And Hold for us. Let, let, that, let me digest that 100 miles a week, guys. Because I tell my runners 40, 45 miles the max. So I mean, I, I cater to the, the early stage runners. Sure. So 100 miles a week is possible, guys, and this is one example. And um, you should all you all should know that 100 miles a week is not totally out of the out of whack on the other end of the spectrum. I think there are a lot of people who run 100 miles a week, isn't it? Yes, and to be competitive um, in anything from 5,000 meters to the marathon now, mileage is necessary. Um, in fact, uh, Bill Rogers. Um, before the 1979 Boston Marathon, in which he broke the American record again, I called him and I said, uh, what did you do last week? And he said, I ran 160 miles <laughs> last week. And I said, oh man. And I said, well, I'm not gonna run 160 miles. I have news for you. I, I, I peaked out at 120 a couple of times. So when it is 120, just for me to understand and comprehend, how would a 120 mile week look like typically? Um, I do 20 to 22 miles on Sunday. Okay. Um, Monday would be an easy day of eight miles. Okay. On um, Tuesday would be about 15 miles um, and uh, about eight of those miles would be at 10,000 meter race pace. Okay. And then Wednesday would be another 17-mile run. I see. And then Thursday would be an easy run of about 10 miles, but it would be uh, track work. I would I would do uh, repeat miles at uh, five minutes a mile or 450 a mile. And then uh, Friday would be a light day of uh, maybe 10 miles again, but very easy. Easy CPP mm -hmm. basically, yeah. And then uh, Saturday, I would do um, a 10 mile tempo run of about at about 53 minutes. Um, 10 miles, 53 minutes, yeah. got it. And so you're running seven days a week, there's no rest day at all in this. Right. So the, the off week where you run a seven, 10 mile is your rest day, really. That's yes. your recovery day, and basically. It, and you know, and that was for me because I had uh, pretty good experience by the time I got to, to that level. Right. I've been running for years, but like you, uh, my my beginning runners and intermediate runners, I I certainly hold them back. I hold them back to five, maybe six days a week of running and lots of recovery and rest. And even elite runners will tell you uh, that, that recovery is just about the most important factor in success long term for a runner. Makes sense. Um, you have to have the recovery because the, uh, the concept of physical training is to uh, break the cell down, let it recover, and when it rebuilds, it rebuilds with more mitochondria, more ability to process oxygen, and, um, and a healthier, more adequately uh, prepared cell. And that's for the billions of cells in our body to do that. So, so let's let's talk about your full marathon. So, so how was your full marathon journey? When did you do your first full marathon? And how was your pacing and all that? How did that? Uh, the go? first marathon I was introduced to, um, it was it was an awful experience, and um, I I had prepared. I felt well for the race. But the marathon is something that is a, a very spooky type of race. Uh, you can be fully prepared and have a bad day um, at any point. And even uh, Iliud will have a bad day now and then. And
um, that happened, my first marathon happened to be my worst marathon ever. And I, uh, I went out um, at a, a decent pace. I wanted to not try to run the fastest I could run for this first marathon because it was experimental because I'd only run 20 miles in, right. in training, in never 26. Um, so I went through the first 10 miles. I felt pretty good. Uh, I hit the first 10 miles in, I think, 55 minutes or so. Okay. And uh, by the time uh, we turned to come back, we faced about a 25 mile per hour headwind. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, I was pushing as hard as I could push, and I ran totally out of glycogen, and I just hit the wall. At 20 and, miles? At 20 miles, the old hit the wall thing. And I think I finished in about 3.06 or something. And, uh, and I said, I will never run another marathon. Two days after that, I was training again for the marathon. So that was, uh, you know, it was just my immediate um, anger and disappointment in myself. But I processed it and emotionally got through it and said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this thing. Yeah. And so I came back. And how was your progression in terms of full marathon performance? Um, I, each one was successively faster and I, I prepared myself to, to run the races um, with not huge gaps in increase in performance, but to learn how to pace how the to marathon because yeah. it, is a, it is a unique race. Uh, if you go out five seconds per mile too fast the first five miles, you will lose 20 seconds per mile Enough. on the end. Yeah. And it's that precise. So my next marathon I ran in 251, the next one after that 242, then I ran 230, and then 225. And I came down, and my uh, fastest was 223. 223. My goodness. That's all ratified space, guys. Uh, for, for the audience here, that's a ratified and space. Nowadays, that's a slow marathon. <laughs> I mean, the, the females are running four or five minutes faster than that. Of course. And so, uh, you know, but back then it was a decent marathon. Absolutely. That's a ratified space for even for our audience. That's a ratified space. So, guys, I wanted to just uh, unearth a few golden nuggets that uh, Coach Terry had thought talked about and we have talked about in our training as well. One is everyone has a bad day, okay? It's not just you. Even elite athletes at the top of the game who can run 120 miles a week, they can have a bad day. So having a bad day is not something to fear about. It is just a part of the training, part of the journey. Learn from it, enjoy the day, come back for another day, come back to fight another day. You don't have to, uh, the, the greatness here is how to come back not about just every race you had to hit a PR, keep on hitting a PR. You all will face a bad day, guarantee. So that's the first nugget I heard from him, right? The second nugget uh, that he was talking about is that five second, if it's so precise, you try to, try to overdo it and not able to control your emotions at the beginning of the race, you, the race will hand it back to you towards the end of the race. So it's all about ma race management. And that's something we have talked about a lot and you hear directly from Coach Terry as well. Uh, and the third nugget, which is very interesting uh, for me, is how you sort of prepare for a race in a macro cycle, right? So when he hit the three hours, five minutes, he didn't say that, okay, next time I'm going to come back, crush it at two hours, 30 minutes. No, he was going one step at a time, and then he landed at two hours, uh, 22 minutes. Over what period of time you landed the two hours, 22, from 305 to 222? How long? It three took? years. Three years. That's a three-year macro cycle. So that's how you need to be thinking about this. It's a long game, guys, pun intended. This is a long game. This is not like instantly first race, you missed it, next race you want to get a 30-minute PR, and you might get injured, you know, if you do that. So that's right. That's a, that is a great one. So in terms of, uh, did you get any professionally acclaimed into anything, you represented anything for the two hours, or how did that go as a runner? Yes, uh, you know, I, I, I became fairly well-known, um, at least locally, and when I say locally on the East Coast, um, I placed um, as one of the top Southeastern uh, runners in 1979. Okay. Um, I, uh, we had the Southeastern Championships, where it was a 15-mile, hilly 15-mile race, 
and I ran it in 77 minutes. And so the, uh, that, that placed me up in a, a pretty good situation. And so I started getting invited to races. I couldn't go to the one, all of them I wanted to go to. Um, I got invited to go to New York four times, and, and it, but it conflicted with that Southeastern Championship week. Yeah. And so I never ran New York, but I've run Boston, I, you know, I've run Charlotte, Savannah, um, uh, Miami, um, you know, a lot of different ones. So on the top of your head, like how many full marathons you would have done in your life? Do you even have oh. a count? Not, not a lot. Not a lot. Terrible okay. lot. I'd say um, maybe a dozen. Okay. Uh, and the reason is, is because I wanted to be a versatile runner. Yeah. I wanted, you know, I, I knew that I had come from a 5,000 meter background. Yeah. And I enjoyed 5,000 meters because it, I believe that 5,000 meters for a distance runner, not a middle distance runner, but for a distance runner, 5,000 meters is the toughest race there is because there's no time to hesitate. You have to go all out 90% yeah. to 93% from the time the gun goes off and then you have to be able to go 60 to 70 seconds completely anaerobic without air for the last three, you know, three to 400 meters. meters. You've yeah. got to be able to run it totally without air. And so it's, it's like you're underwater. Yeah. And um, if you run the right race, you'll run it in negative splits. All races, if you're training to become an improved runner, you should aim for negative splits. The last mile should be Fastest. faster than the first mile. And they should gently come down. And, but in the 5,000 meters, you will always have someone who will go out and want to take the race out hard, and you have to learn a bit of patience, even at 5,000. Even in 5,000. That's right. Uh, don't lose contact. In other words, don't let them get more than about eight to 10 feet ahead, but um, don't try to lead the race um, from the very beginning. There are runners who do that and can do it very successfully. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, I am a guy who, um, I will track you, and I will I'll focus right on between your shoulder blades. And, and when I see the first weakness in you, if I see your shoulder drop or something like that, then I take it off, and I'll it. surge, and I'll go, and um, and I'll I'll do a 200 mile, I'm at 200 meter sur uh, surge. In fact, there was a, a great. Um, uh, 80, 1980s runner named Mirutz Yifter mm -hmm. and um, Craig Virgin, the great Craig Virgin, uh, 10,000 meter world champion, um, called him um, Shifter Yifter because he would shift gears. He would run, Mirutz would, would run a 10,000 meter race in a series of 200 meter surges. He would surge out and what he, he meant to do was to to pull guys along until he broke them. <laughs> and, and more often than not, he would do that. He would break them. And But Craig learned his secret. And so Craig started training that way. And Craig said, I've got a solution for him. I'm going to go out so hard that he can't surge <laughs> and catch me at 200 meters. And that's how he, he, uh, he So he, much he of mind games. It's not just all physical Absolutely. bra. Oh, it, it, it's <laughs> a lot of mind games going on. Amazing. So what was your fastest 5K uh, PR? 1437. 1437, you get a 5K. That's amazing. Like, I've got a lot of kids. I just want them to get inspired that you know all of this is possible. They were just normal human beings achieving and, impossible and things. And much faster than me. There are a lot of kids that are watching this, I hope, right now that, that will uh, understand that they have much faster races in them than this. Uh, they have, uh, a lot of them have 13-minute races for 5,000 meters in them. A lot of them have 210, 205 marathons in them. If they, if they uh, adopt the sport, and then the sport adopts them, and they're patient and willing to listen to coach, then you will get there. Um, don't be 
uh, discouraged by a bad race. Don't be discouraged by an injury because uh, I know of no running injuries that can completely stop a runner. Um, a traumatic injury may stop a runner, but, but a, a running injury, they're all fixable, all repairable. Absolutely. Amazing words. Okay, Terry, let's switch gears a little bit. I know that you've had an illustrious running career, but I think I would say you also had an equally illustrious and having an illustrious coaching career. So let's talk a little bit about when did you make the switch to the coach, uh, coach side of things and uh, how has it panned out and you know a few tidbits about that side of your life. Sure. Um, I started the Charleston Running Club in 1977 uh, just because I felt we needed a running club in our city and we didn't have one. Um, by the end of the year, uh, we went from 11 members to 464 members, so that told me we did need a running club. And at the same time, we, uh, uh, a friend of mine and I, who was at the Medical University of South Carolina, I was the president of the running club, and he was the dean of the College of Medicine, and he was a club member, came into my laboratory and said, what do you think about forming a race across uh, the Cooper River Bridge uh, to downtown Charleston from Mount Pleasant? Now, you'll have to look it up on your GPS um, uh, to, if you're not familiar with the area, but it's a two and a half mile span. It's the largest cable stay span bridge in North America. And uh, we formed a race, a 10,000 meter race, um, across that that bridge and it is now the third largest 10k in america wow and the fifth largest in the world my goodness terry how, how many people run that um when we have a full capacity crowd we limit it to forty-five thousand. oh lord <laughs> so that's so you're the race director for the for no i was the race director for years and then i did the public relations for years and now i'm just sort of a figurehead so you are, are you the founder uh, founder one of the founding members or are you the founder of the race i uh, i am the co-founder me and and marcus newberry amazing oh my god you never you, you know i mean every five minutes i get amazed by you <laughs> Look at that guys, 45,000, that's like almost New York City Marathon size <laughs> running. I need to come and run that race. Do, do I, do I, is there a waiting list or something to get in? Or oh, does that no, work? no, no. It's always, uh, and if you contact me, I'll get you in. I don't care when it is. I'm going to use some high level contacts you here. You won't even have to pay. <laughs> no, I want to pay. I want to come in. Uh, I, at least I'll get a, a tent free maybe, uh, you know, towards there, the end of the race. There you go. Oh my God, 45,000. See, one of the things I'm also excited about is, in the community that I live in, similar to what you experienced, not much of a race uh, event. I won't kickstart an event like probably what you did. So I probably will catch uh, some thoughts from you how to do that uh, as a race director and things like that. And, it, and you asked about, you know, how did I become a coach? Yeah. Um, I was sort of drafted into becoming the coach for the running club. The, uh, we wanted to have a men's and women's competition team that represented our club. And so I was sort of deemed the coach. And uh, so I, I competed on the men's team and coached the men's team. And I coached the female team as well. I see. Um, our female team went undefeated for three solid years in every single race. Um, they won every team uh, race that there was. And uh, we went undefeated for five years, the men's team and um, uh, won the Southeastern Championships three times in a, in so a row. So you coach elite runners, essentially. Yeah, and uh, they, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a different world because um, if you're a male and you're coaching a female, females have different needs than males, of course, and males have different needs than females. So you have to adapt your uh, not only your the physical training, but the psychological and emotional training, and um, I really I really enjoy coaching the female runners because females are stronger than males mentally and physically. I was absolutely, absolutely. there's not a doubt, and 
I did every single workout with my female runners. I, I said, I will never give you a workout that I'm not willing to do right alongside you. Right. And that, I feel, made them better. And, um, and they were appreciative of it, and, um, and it made them really good individual runners as well. Got it. Um, Jay, what's the name of the race? I just want to make sure that our audience uh, hears that so that they can join again. The Cooper River Bridge Run. Cooper River Bridge Run. Cooper River Bridge Run, 5K and 10K only? It's a 10K, and uh, we invite not only runners, but we have uh, walkers, um, and uh, we even have ladies pushing baby strollers. We, you know, <laughs> that whole can community. jump in. It's, it was, thing. It's, a, it's a wonderful event, and um, uh, pre-COVID, we have uh, had an expo, uh, a three-day-long expo, very large expo, and um, we have a lot of invited runners. Um, now, we are not having an expo this year. The race is going to be held on April the 2nd. Is it an annual event? It's an annual event. Around in, April? Uh, uh -huh. it's, okay. uh, it's usually the either the last Saturday in March or the first Saturday in April, uh, depending on how the calendar year works out and for leap years, etc. Um, we, uh, it's very easy to enter. You just go on cooperriverbridgerun.com and, and pull it right up and you can register right online. This year we're holding it to 25,000 runners uh, just to sort of get over COVID. And, um, it's because of COVID you've reduced the size right. to only 25,000. We have reduced the size. And, to tell the truth, we could actually have many more than 45,000 runners if we wanted to, if the, the logistics are what holds us back. Because Charleston is a very compact city, and we have a small park in the center of town called Marion Square. It's one city block park, and we have to finish all the runners right there and so if you add 45,000 runners and walkers and their families and friends, you've got 120,000 people in a one city block area. And so we are literally out of space. Yeah, you're literally out of space. <laughs> so folks, I know there are a lot of folks in Virginia, North Carolina, I think some folks are in South Carolina, lots of folks in Texas out there. I think this is something you guys should try it out. I, I, I'm definitely gonna try it out, let's uh, sync up on the side. If not this April, maybe it's too early for us, but next April you're going to see me and I want that one right. small space reserved for me on the tent as your friend. You got it. <laughs> you got it. And I'll tell you, we have every state in the union, including Alaska and Hawaii, represented in the race. There it's... are runners from each one of those states and 34 nations. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, as I said, right, every five minutes he blows my mind. So this is the next five minutes he blew my mind with that stat. 34 nations, Terry, I mean, you're just an amazing human being, clearly. Um, and I have so much more to ask you. So let's keep the, 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 the reel rolling because there's so much, there's another interesting sure. thing about you that I want to talk about. Um, so how many years you've coached now? 30, 20, 40 years now? How many years? Oh gosh, I've coached 40 years. 40 years of coaching, ballpark, how many runners have? gone through your Terry coaching uh, school of uh, maybe maybe 5,000. 5,000 runners. So that's personally my, I mean, everyone needs a high watermark to be ambitious about. That's going to be my ambition. Um, and uh, I'm just a small fish right now. About 500 runners have passed through my school of coaching. Uh, but 5,000, why not? I think before I uh, finish, hang my boots, I will try to hit that number. Absolutely. <laughs> And you know, the, the great thing is, is this is a lifelong pursuit. That's the way I look at running. I look at running as a lifestyle and something that is um, enjoyment and peace in my head as I run. And I think most runners look at it that way. They, they may decide I want to run a marathon, but then when they start running and start feeling how good it feels to be fit and, and they adapt the other areas of their life into fitness, um, all areas of their life seem to improve. Absolutely. Their relationships with other human beings. Um, they become humble. That's right. I've seen 
better runners, including yourself, the more they achieve, the more humble they become. They, they realize what it takes to be successful, and then they kind of become humble as themselves. That's right, because uh, you know we 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 understand sort of the the, crack, the cracks in our foundation, and so we understand that that we're not superhumans; we're humans, and uh, and that goes for all of us. And so. Um, the, the most fun I have in life um, is meeting people and enjoying people, particularly from other cultures. Um, when I go to New York City on pleasure or business, I stop almost <laughs> anyone on the street who will talk to me. My <laughs> wife will tell you it will drive her nuts. My because, wife is like that too. <laughs> you know, I'm talking I'm talking to this guy and this girl and I'm you know and I'm on the subway and I'm talking to everybody and you know what? They talk back and they and they'll have a conversation with you and they're fine. And yet I've had um, people that I know who are from New York go, you talk to people? And I said, well, of course. I said, they're human beings. I said, why shouldn't we talk? And, and I said, if more people talked, we would have less war. Yeah, what a beautiful, positive approach to life in general, not just running. Um, so, Terry, let's, let's uh, you know, just milestones that I've heard till now. Accomplished runner, two hours, 20-something, full marathon, PR, 40-minute, 5k, 5K runner, uh, 5k, right? Yeah, 5k right. runner. And then 40 plus years of coaching, 5,000 runners. These are all like sort of milestones and putting, summarizing this. And then the founder, co-founder of one of the largest races in America, 5k, uh, 10k race that we all should go and experience. Uh, and also an amazing human being who can take on hard things and still move over that and continue to do what's passion. So why I'm saying that is, I know you, you, you're not shy about talking about uh, right. uh, about you know your down. So I know that recent past, you had uh, an incident in your life. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? I did. Um, my family owns um, uh, a couple of farms in, uh, in South Carolina. And uh, we grow soybeans and, and corn and things on some of these farms. And, uh, and I hunt deer in order to help cull the herd and to provide meat, not only for my family, but meat to give away to people who are less fortunate and who can't afford it. And so I was up at the farm hunting um, September 18, 2009 in the morning. Um, and I would, it, this is a long way from any place, but, um, but I always hunted where I, at least I got a, a signal and I, was, I had my Blackberry with me, thankfully, or we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, uh, at uh, 8.04 a.m., I decided that I uh, didn't see a deer I wanted to shoot, so I decided to to come down and, and get in my truck and come back to Charleston. I was wearing a full safety harness and uh, I had to unhook the harness and then hook it to another strap in, this, in the stand because the stand was 14 feet off the ground. And when I did that, the uh, strap broke and I fell in a standing position to the ground and I landed on uh, what's called a cypress knee. And uh, cypress trees have their roots above ground and they're conical shaped. And so they're at a point at the end and they're extremely hard. They're like a rock, like a rock literally like concrete. And I landed on it uh, on the center of my foot with my leg locked like this and my leg exploded. Just um, broke. Uh, I had six exposed compound fractures. Um, it, 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 I hit so hard, the, the fractured bones came through my boot. And, and you were alone? I was alone. Um, I uh, had a crushed heel, um, a crushed ankle, and I also nicked my femoral artery. Um, 
However, I had, in addition to all the other things I do, I'm, I'm this guy that never sits still. I had been a reserve Berkeley County deputy sheriff. There you go. So, <laughs> Every five minutes. <laughs> so um, I knew what to do um, if I could stay conscious. Uh, I hit the ground so hard, um, for a second I didn't know what had happened. But then I realized, uh, you know, I fell. And when I looked down at my leg, I realized that I was in a life and death situation. And so I pulled my belt off and I turned, uh, pulled down a tourniquet on like my leg. Like a movie leg. style, literally like a movie style, like, just, like a Rambo, tightening it up. Yeah. Tied it down. I hit um, uh, the police dispatch on my phone and they came on wow. and uh, I told them where to find me and they could not locate me on their officer in trouble and they said sir we cannot find you on GPS and I said um, then I'm gonna hang up because I know someone who will be closer and um, if you've ever uh, dialed dispatch at a police uh, department they do not like you to hang up on them right, so right. they kept trying to call me back but I did not take the call instead I called a friend of mine who was a, a wildlife officer and he knew where that stand was. So he was able to come and locate you. So he, he was, but he was 17 miles from me. And he said, I'm coming right now. He said, you just stay on the phone with me. Stay on the phone. He said, don't hang up, stay on the phone. And so um, he drove well over 100 miles an hour and he intercepted uh, what's called a first responder who was uh, someone who's uh, like a medic and the first responder had communicated with an ambulance and he was able to guide them nearly to where I was, close enough where they could get me to a backboard. Um, I was taken to... Are you were conscious till that time? I was conscious. Um, however, I was in shock by that time because from loss of blood. Yep. Uh, they had to give me multiple units of blood at the uh, hospital to keep me alive. Um, so when I got to the hospital, um, uh, the surgeon came in and took a look and he said, I may have to remove your leg. And I said, you do what you have to do. And um, so uh, he happened to be an excellent surgeon and he was able to put my leg back together again. However, being a runner for so many years, that was not acceptable. Um, I was very thankful and blessed to be alive, but I still wanted to be a runner. And so I knew that I would never run again with the type of leg I had. I, it was just too painful. Yeah. Um, so after seven months, um, I went to uh, a friend of mine who was a surgeon and I said, remove this leg so that I can put a prosthetic running blade on so that, he can so that I can run again. And uh, he was uh, kind of upset at that. And and this is says, how old you were at that time, if I may ask. I was 59. But at 59, you were, you're not letting it go. It's mm -hmm. not, at 59, you've run for 30 years plus. That's right. Was, 30, I, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, he, he said, you're gonna walk on crutches or with a cane the rest of your life. And I said, no, I'm not. That's, that's not happening. I'm, I'm going to get a, a prosthetic leg and I'm gonna get a prosthetic blade and I'm gonna continue my life. I said, because not only because of running, but I want my wife to have the man she married. And she married a fit man who's very active. And if I have to be uh, disabled, I want it to be as little a disability as possible. Wow. And so he finally agreed. We took the leg off. I had some subsequent infections. Uh, I had a pulmonary embolism, which would have killed a normal human being. But being a runner, the, one of the good uh, offshoots of being a runner is that your heart is larger, your coronary arteries are larger, and so the blood clots went through there with no problem, lodged in my lungs, and um, we were able to dissolve them, and uh, eventually they were able to put me, um, this was December of uh, 2010, they were able to put me into a running blade 
So they put me in a running blade and I announced I'm going to run the Cooper River Bridge run. And um, now, mind you, I, it had been months and months and months before I, uh, since I had run a step. Yeah. And I only ran actually three times on the blade before the April race. So I had three total workouts in nine months. <laughs> and um, so um, there were two Marines, two large Marines uh, agreed to run on either side of me so that people, because people were very kind and sweet and they wanted to to um, pat me on the back and say, way to go, we're proud of you. Um, but that can also cause you to fall Correct. if you're not really experienced with a blade. And so these guys uh, sort of kept people, you know, a little ways off of me so I could continue. Uh, I finished the race and then um, I was upset. And my wife said, well, what are you upset about? And I said, my time was so slow. <laughs> and that's a, that, that is a typical runner. So that is you out there. And, uh, and that would be, coach would say the same thing. And so- and what was the, the slow speed you're talking about? Yeah, How much was it, you remember? Um, it was a little over an hour. And so I, I was very upset. I said, I said, oh, I said, I can't believe it. And, but my wife is a very wise woman. My wife said, let me explain something to you. Yeah. She said, you suffered a life-threatening injury. You have been bedridden for over six months. She said, you've run a total of three times on this blade and you just beat two thirds of the field. And you don't have a leg. <laughs> right, just have a with one leg. Yeah, one she leg. said, with one leg and you're 59 years old. And she said, why are you upset? And, and I, I said at that point, I said, you're right. Um, I, that's a foolish way for me to think. And so uh, my, my wife uh, is uh, so much wiser than I. Sorry. Guys, this is resilience, guys. This is how resilience looks like. We've talked about resilience as an important pillar for you to character building that we talk about a lot. This is how resilience looks like. I am so inspired, Terry. And I know that, I mean, I can continue with this talk for another couple of hours. There's so much more to unearth here. But this one other thing I wanted to, I know that you also became an author or you recently wrote a book, is that right? Why don't you talk a little bit about that before we sure. get to the... Um, in 2019, I had been asked by the athletes I had coached for years to write a book on running and I had uh, resisted. I said, I'm not an author, I'm not a writer, I'm a coach. And they said, please coach, you know, um, when you're gone, that knowledge will be gone with you. And I said, well, wait a minute, you're burying me already. And I, I said, I got a lot of years. And, uh, <laughs> but I finally reluctantly agreed to write a book on running. And I said, I'm gonna write a very basic, but thorough book on running. I said, because if I write the book I really can write, it would be about this thick. Yeah. I said, and no one will read it. So I talked to a friend of mine who was a publisher, and he said, do you know what the perfect length of a book is? And I said, what? He said, 200 pages. And I said, only 200 pages? He said, absolutely. He said, you can keep someone's attention with a 200-page book much more easily than with a longer book or even a shorter book. He said, we've done all the research. We know what we're talking about. This book is 199 pages. <laughs> and it's, um, I coach basically using the Lydiard system of base training, building your base, adding resistance, and then adding speed work and tapering. And, and that's, uh, and the different mileages are uh, adaptable for different lengths of races you want to run. Or if you just want to run for fun, but want to be a better, faster, more fit runner, you can use this to become that as well. And um, 
I am presenting this copy oh. to my friend Bala and uh, for having me on this podcast. And I also am, uh, don't let him forget, I'm giving him two extra copies and I will let him decide who gets those two extra copies. Maybe he can have a contest or uh, a question and answer series and uh, you can oh, you can present them and I will sign them. Uh, thank uh, you, Coach right Terry. Here. This is an honor, absolute honor, and I'm, I, I can't wait to dive into this 199-page manuscript. <laughs> and thank you. my email is on the back. Yes. And so, you know, um, if people want a copy of the book, um, I think most of the stores are out of them now, but um, you can email me and um, Bala can provide you with my email and I'll actually uh, mail you a copy of the book. Amazing. Um, happy to do it. And Building a Better Runner, folks, by Terry. By the way, it's been forwarded by none other than Bill Rogers. Those of you who do not know, multiple times Boston, New York City Marathon winner. Is your, did he also represent the U.S.? I'm trying to remember uh, uh, yeah. in the Olympics. Uh, he represented the Olympic uh, uh, team in 1976, yeah. and but he ran um, a, a bad race, just had a bad day. And he ended up, I think, uh, gosh, he was middle of the pack. When he, he, his best times were faster than the winning time. But you know, the marathon, as I said earlier, it's an odd race. Yeah. It can present you with all kinds of challenges, challenges in the last day. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for this, Coach. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an honor to receive it directly from you. Um, and man, 50 minutes just flew by. And I know that we only barely scratched the surface of your illustrious life. Um, maybe one last short question uh, for you. Sure. Uh, we have about 500 odd runners. Most of them are in the early phase, not the elite runners. Definitely, they're, they're, they're literally discovering themselves that, oh my God, I can run too. I was just a mom yesterday and now I feel like I'm doing something for myself and they, they feel good about it and they're all, that's the category, that's the segment that I, ca I cater to. Any words of wisdom as a coach, as a runner, as a race director, as an author, what words of wisdom you can give them in terms of having a long running sort of career? What is it that they should be focused on right now? I want them to run to the way they feel. I want them to learn to love the sport. I don't want the sport to be pressure. The sport should be enjoyment. If you never win a race, who cares? I want you to run so that you're smiling at the end of your run and you're having a better day and you're treating other people with more kindness and you do the sport until you're 80 or 90 years old or more. That's my goal. How many miles you run a week now? I run about 30 miles a oh, week. 30 miles. That's, that's, it's not a lot. It's not a lot at all. <laughs> Guys, that's Coach Terry for you. It's just been an amazing conversation, an incredible conversation. Thank you, Coach, for your time. Thank, Thank you, Coach, you for your follow. For I appreciate call. it so very much. Love it. And I'm going to make that seat available on your tent next April. <laughs> Absolutely. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, guys, and see you in the next podcast. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.